This morning we continue our series on the book of Proverbs by reading from the book of Proverbs chapter 6. This week we will learn that to wise up we must have wise friends. Chapter 6 of the book of Proverbs, reading 19 verses. My son, if you have put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger. If you are snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the hand of the fowler. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her her ways and be wise. Without any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her fruit in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech, winks with his eyes, signals with his feet, points with his finger, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. In a moment, he will be broken beyond healing. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. This is God's word. Will you pray with me as we ask his blessing? O Holy Spirit, which inspired these words, we pray that you would enliven our minds and our hearts this morning to understand, receive, and rest upon these words of yours, and that you would help us not to be merely hearers, but doers as well. I pray you would help me as we do this, to know Christ and Him crucified. In these things we pray in His name. Amen. Please have a seat. As I've been sharing these things with you from Proverbs, I've shared a series of famous last words. I'm not sure how long this will last, but... um, The number one famous last words that we all know are, Hey everyone, watch this. And the fact is that the greatest disasters that have come up on my life, and maybe it's true in yours, is when people are present. Um, The the things that uh, bring us down are things we rarely uh, do without an audience, whether there's an audience present or one simply in our hearts and minds. But like the same way, one of the greatest gifts in life are friends. The right friends can mean a, a right life, and good friends can mean a good life, and trustworthy friends can lead us to be trustworthy people. And so the, the sage, uh, Solomon, here this morning in the verses that we've read teaches us the importance of choosing friends wisely. And the reason is 
as we have learned in previous weeks, wisdom brings life. Wisdom brings purpose. Wisdom brings meaning. Wisdom leads to a good life. And because God's wisdom is to bring us life, we need to desire wise friends. Because wisdom is to bring us life, we must desire wise friends. And likewise, we must be the wise friend, not just choose friends wisely. All three of these kinds of people here have that same theme in common. The kinds of people we are to stay away from and that we are not to emulate. And if we stay away from and don't emulate these three kinds of people, we will be the kind of people who give life to others, whose life overflows as wisdom is to overflow into the lives of other people. We'll be life givers as well. So let's look at these three kinds of people and see how we are warned about their effects on our lives and also how we are to avoid being those kinds of people so that we can be life givers as, li- as wise livers. Uh, first of all is the warning against surety in verses 1 through 5. The warning against surety. That is, guaranteeing a debt of another. Uh, verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 6 begins, My son, remember, wisdom is a school where parental instruction is imparted to the children, but we realized it extends through all the relationships in the Christian community. So wisdom school is back in session. And verse 1 says, If you have put up security for your neighbor... And verses um, 1 and 2 continue what we call the condition of the conditional statement. If you have given security for your neighbor, now the word neighbor here does not mean uh, somebody near to you that you have responsibility for, such as love your neighbor. Maybe not the best way of translating. If you have given security for another person or have given your pledge for a stranger, so it's it's a... It's a distant person. It's somebody perhaps that you don't know well or have not good reason to trust. If you have given security or given a pledge for that person, verse 2 advances the thought, if you are snared in the words of your mouth. See, this is going in a bad direction, giving security for this person that we don't know or we don't have reason to trust is, in a sense, laying a trap for ourselves. Caught in the words of your mouth, verse 2, the second part. That's the condition. If you've done this, here's what you do. Verse 3 will uh, tell us what to do. Then do this, my son. Save yourself. No mincing of words. Get out of there. For you have come into the hand of your neighbor. So you see what what the sage was talking about, what Solomon is talking about is, by guaranteeing somebody else's situation, you have put yourself under the obligation that they exist under and that you are now under the control and subject to the manipulation or the victimization of not just the person for whom you gave surety, but for the person they owe. Go, hasten. Plead, plead urgently, ask to be relieved of this obligation, verse 3 continues, because you have put yourself under the control of another. And notice the words, snare, fowler, 
like a bird from the hand of a fowler, verse 5. You have laid a trap for yourself. Now, why is this so important? Well, because in doing this, you have put your, your behavior, your resources, your future into the hands of someone else whom you don't know or cannot trust. And the Solomon is saying here, if you are the mouse and you're smelling the cheese, get out. Uh, Ecclesiastes 5 tells us it's better not to take a vow than to take one and break it. And Solomon doesn't even say here, just unilaterally break it. He says, go and do the right thing and try to get yourself out of it by pleading with the person to whom you are indebted. Now, what can we learn from this? Well, first of all, I want to make sure we qualify this properly. We, we can uh, do harm if we simplistically take the book of Proverbs and just l- overlay it directly on our world without making the right kinds of understandings and adjustments between our world and theirs. Uh, we live today in a, a capital economy. Uh, not the same kind of agrarian, land-based economy of the Old Testament Israelites. Uh, There is a fundamental principle in a capital economy that when you put your resources at risk, you share in the return. You'll notice, some of you probably have seen, that the Old Testament forbids charging interest. That's because it is in a land-based agrarian economy, not one in which capital is invested for shared risk in order for shared return. So that's a bit of an apples and oranges kind of comparison. So don't misunderstand that uh, this proverb is saying we should never uh, co-sign or put ourselves on the line for somebody else's obligation. What What it is saying is that when we do that, we mustn't put our behaviors and our resources beyond our own control, particularly our own behaviors. We mustn't be indebted in such a way that we can no longer act righteously and wisely. Some of you have perhaps experienced this. You get involved, say, in business with someone, and you thought you knew the person reasonably well, and, but then you find out there's a bit of an ethical issue or something you're not quite comfortable with, but, but more capital is needed in order to get through this. And, but the, 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 each step you take along the way, the deeper you get in, and the more and more easy it is for your conduct to be compromised. So you've done what uh, uh, Solomon here has said not to do. And he says, cut your losses. Get unencumbered from the relationships with people who would lead you to do not just unwise things, but unrighteous things. In other words, if we're going to swim, we need to learn what the fish look like that will eat us. That is the person uh, to whom uh, surety is given and to the lender whom we do not know. Now, what relevance is this to our life today? Well, It is, uh, it is uh, not to affect our generosity. In fact, uh, obeying these kinds of provisions in the Old Testament will actually promote generosity. The, the for, uh, forbidding of interest, for instance, which was commonly used to victimize people in difficult circumstances, by forbidding interest, the temptation would be less to victimize people, and instead it would increase the sense of obligation toward generosity. You know, one of the great 
commercial scandals of our day are the so-called payday loan stores. Those of you who work with the, the under-advantaged, the disadvantaged uh, people with uh, addictions and all kinds of other issues, you know how they get taken advantage of so greatly by the payday loan industry. And the payday loan industry would say, well, we offer a genuine service that people need, and no doubt there are a certain percentage of legitimate uh, clients and, and business in that. But by and large, see where these facilities are located. I remember when I rented furniture right out of college in my first job, and I noticed that all the people renting furniture were the kinds of people that were being taken advantage of by merchants in other areas as well. So we, we, we take the lesson from here that we are not to take advantage of others so that it doesn't mitigate our own generosity. In other words, we're to help people without condition when they need help. As a writer of Hebrews says, we are to show hospitality to strangers, because by doing so, some have entertained angels unawares. But more to the point, and closer to us, is recognizing slavery in the making. Because the wise are to use their resources to enrich others. They are not to bind up their resources in obligations for which they have no control. And especially to come under bondage to the foolish and the wicked. The one who wants surety comes to, you, comes to us. They flatter us because we have means. We, they need their help. But as some of you in the helping profession know quite well, helping is not always helping. Guiding people toward good behaviors rather than the ones that indebt them in the first place is helping. It's not only our resources, but our reputations that get bound up with others. And this is particularly an issue for the Christian community. If you want to, and and I think Zach and Glenn and some others will, will back me up on this, if you want to start a Ponzi scheme, the best place to go is to a church and use Jesus talk. Because we are predisposed to help, But we provide surety for others when we do. And there have been some famous stories, even in my lifetime, of uh, great harm being done to Christians because of being taken advantage of. This kind of proverb is not to make us cynical about not helping people when we should, but it is also to warn us of the kind of person that would encumber us so that we can no longer fulfill the calling of wisdom, which is to enrich others, give life to others. Don't become a mark. So there are uh, those who ask for surety and their lenders who would encumber us and take life from us. We are not to be involved with those people and we're not to emulate them. The second kind of person is not just the, it's not just the surety, but now in verses 6 and following, the sluggard. And there's probably not a better word to describe a sluggard than the word sluggard. The sluggard is lazy. The sluggard, yes, the sluggard is chill, laid back. If you're familiar with a movie with a character named The Dude, that's a sluggard. Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways and be wise. Uh, The sluggard needs to learn the ways of wisdom. 
And the, the, Solomon says, go to the school of nature, which God has established to teach us. We talked about this before when we looked at chapter 10, uh, that uh, living, uh, living with our work in a wise way means we live with the rhythms of God's creation. Uh, the ant, without having any chief, officer, or ruler, there's no drill sergeant blowing the whistle, or marine sergeant blowing the whistle, get out of bed. The ant gets up, uh, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. There's a particular ant in the, in the Middle East, it's the harvester ant, uh, which is a, probably very typical, the kind of ants we know, except for uh, the devil's ants, otherwise known as fire ants. But, um, but the, the harvester ant gathering food, bringing down into the nest and storing up so that when uh, there's not food available, they can eat from the storage, but, but gathering when it's time to gather. And this is what the ant does. She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And so what is the ant doing here that is wise and virtuous? Well, the ant is living according to the way God made the world. The ant, in her own way, is living out the lordship of God the Creator. And so this is what we do when we work according to the ways of wisdom. God's way of providing for us is through the labors of our hands. And when we go and we gain uh, our wealth honestly and industriously, we are doing it under the lordship of God the Creator. We're not trying to circumvent the system. We're not trying to shortcut the way God made the world, but rather we're living in the way God made the world, which is to say we live under Him as Lord. So there's a worship aspect. And the sluggard is not worshiping God. The sluggard is not living under the lordship of God because he says uh, in verse 10, a little sleep, little slumber. The sluggard invented the snooze button. Just a little more. I had a roommate one time that would hit the snooze button until it maxed out the snooze button. And then there was a limit of 10 or 12 or something. And so I don't know what the point was because he got woken up every seven minutes. He should have just not set the alarm to begin with. And I certainly had my times of uh, being a friend of the snooze button. That's what the the sluggard is, he's a friend of the snooze button because even, even though in God's timing it's time to go and gain the resources that can support himself and what, under wisdom, can support others because living wisely is living in such a way that we can impart life to others. He rather uh, chooses his own timing and as a result, verse 11 Poverty will come upon you like a robber. All of a sudden, you will see, and it will be too late, because the sluggard uh, is robbed incrementally, unnoticeably. When I was a boy and my mom baked a big fresh batch of cookies, and it's before we got my grandmother's cookie jar with the bell inside the lid, (laughs) I would incrementally borrow a cookie at a time. And, and by the time all was said and done, there was, a, there was a lot of cookies missing for the rest of the people in the family. You know, the, 
The sluggard is stealing from himself day by day, minute by minute, every folding of the hands, a little sleep, a little slumber. Uh, He's uh, inviting the robber into his house in such an incremental way that he only realizes it in the end. And so living wisely means uh, not being dragged down by the sluggard, not admiring the sluggard's lifestyle, uh, not... uh, trying to circumvent the system like the sluggard. Now, there is a, uh, there's always a ditch on both sides of the road, isn't there? And um, Protestants, particularly Presbyterians and Calvinists in general, are famous for what sociologist Max Weber called the Protestant work ethic. And we have been accused and characterized by, uh, by many as worshiping work. And, and, and unfortunately, that, that, that is often the case, that uh, under the notion of, um, uh, of, uh, of he who doesn't work shall not eat, we work and work and work and work, and so that work becomes our idol, and there has to be, there has to be checks in our own life to keep work from becoming an idol, uh, that's not the central concern here, but I'm just saying you could, you could look at a verse like this and apply it in an idolatrous way. I get asked theological questions all the time as a seminary professor, and I've learned when I get asked a question that seems obvious or obscure, my first response is to say, well, what do you want to do with it? And unfortunately, many would look at this uh, warning about the sluggard and say, well, the poor deserve where they are. And uh, if they don't work, let them not eat. You see, that goes contrary to so much of what God says about, you know, Deuteronomy 15, Jesus, uh, Moses said, the poor you will always have with you. But then he went on to say, you shall have no poor among you in the same context. That is, those who have genuine need because of unavoidable life circumstances or circumstances not of their own making, they're always going to be present among us, and we need to make every effort to try that, to meet their needs. That's what Deuteronomy 15 teaches. So you can't take this warning here in Proverbs and say, if somebody's poor, it's because they're unrighteous, and they deserve to be poor, and we're not going to help them. That is the absolute wrong way to take this. The right way to take it is this that God has provided the means for us to enjoy the gifts He has given us in His good earth, and that the means by doing that is to rise and work and gather when it's time to gather, to eat of the storehouse when it's time to eat of the storehouse, and to live in the rhythms of the created world so that day by day we remember that God is God and we are not. A parent can do a child a wonderful favor at every meal, thanking God for putting the food on the table. My father-in-law is a farmer. I remember he, they asked, called up on me to pray uh, for the big farm spread one time, and I thanked God for the food, and after I was done, he said, I grew those tomatoes. And he smiled at me and uh, just uh, indicated he was just playing with me. Uh, but uh, the farmer knows, uh, because he's, he's intensely observant of nature, the farmer knows what he harvests is not surely the result of his own efforts. So much, uh, so much more should we look at our paychecks and other means of support that way. These are not things that we have gained by our own righteous hands, 
but they are ones that God has endowed us with and uh, the goodness of which we are to share with others. So don't be surety and avoid people who ask for surety. Don't be a sluggard and avoid sluggards. And finally, the last person we look at in the final verses of this text is the insurrectionist. The insurrectionist. And verses 12 through 19 describe that person. A worthless person, a wicked man, goes about with crooked speech. His words are uh, not straightforward. In other words, he can't be trusted. We might say he speaks out of the corner of his mouth. You know, when somebody talks that way, they're speaking to one person and trying to conceal what they're saying to others. So there's something inherently deceptive about it. The same thing, verse 13, he winks with his eyes. You know, he's talking to some people, but to the person who's in on the, the matter, he winks to indicate that he's not being straightforward. And notice how parts of the body are involved in this person's way of going about things. He signals with his feet. I remember when I was being deposed uh, as part of an insurance matter, I was sitting next to my attorney, and the people suing had their attorney, and he was asking me questions. And uh, if you've ever been in something like that, they, they try to get you a little bit riled up. And I was getting a little bit riled up when he ended a sentence with professor. He got my goat a little bit, and I started talking. Well, um, I felt my attorney's foot <laughs> on my ankle. And I think in law school they teach you how to kick your client without moving your upper body. And so he was saying to me, hey, don't go down that road. Well, you know, the insurrectionist, he's, he's nudging the person who's in on his game or pointing with the finger. He's got a perverse heart, verse 14 says. And uh, it's interesting, there are, um, there are several things in this list, but at the center of them is the heart. Uh, the last four verses repeat, in essence, these things, but the heart is at the physical center of those verses. There are six things the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to Him, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart is number four out of seven, which is at the very center of the list, which is more than just coincidental. You know, Jeremiah says the heart is desperately sick and, and wicked, desperately wicked and sick beyond all cure. Who can know it? That's the verse that Donald Gray Barnhouse quoted to his surgeon when his surgeon boasted that he had held Dr. Barnhouse's heart in his hand. He said, was it desperately wicked and sick beyond all cure? Uh, Jesus uh, realizes this and reminds us of it. Um, He says that um, in saying that in Luke chapter 6, that no good tree bears bad fruit, uh, nor a bad tree bears good fruit, for each tree is known by its fruit. Uh, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. Tony LaRusso, the manager of the St. Louis Cardinals for many years, said, You are your record. In other words, somebody can say, oh, I'm better than my record shows. No, you're your record. But the record comes out of what's inside. 
and, um, and the insurrectionist stirs up trouble because his heart is disposed to cause trouble, to cause strife. Verses 14 and 15, with perverted heart devises evil, continually sowing discord. Now, unlike the sluggard who won't get up when it's harvest time, the insurrectionist gets up to plant, and he plants discord. And discord grows out of seeds, doesn't it? I had a friend in high school. He'd say just one thing that wasn't overtly uh, annoying, but it would, he would say something that would work on your mind and get in your head, and you start to wonder, what did he mean by that? And by the end of the day, you were all twisted up in knots because you had worked out the implications of what he said. He seemed to delight in seeing people upset. Now, perhaps you know individuals like this, uh, and, and the church has its own share as well as the culture, but I think perhaps one very immediately relevant way in which this applies to us is the whole matter of what's called fake news, which is really just a development of, um, of the type, type of journalism that stirs people up rather than calms them down. We've known for decades, and you've seen this on the, even on the conventional news media for years, bad news always gets better ratings than good news. Uh, and, um, and that's evolved and it's grown because, you know, we don't respond as human creatures. We don't respond to happiness as much as we respond to unhappiness. That's why advertising is aimed at making us dissatisfied rather than satisfied. And so... Uh, now, uh, you think about how divided our country is. Well, um, uh, you can picture a lot of people who spend their days looking at their chosen news sources on the Internet and go home and watch their uh, network news show and, and, and then get on the Internet and talk about how mad they are at the people they've been talk, that have been talked about all day. We we have to realize that, uh, now, that there, tr- there are facts, <laughs> and uh, what's the term, alternative facts? Alternative facts are not facts, but we have to realize this, that we are being taken advantage of, regardless of the, the political perspective, we are being taken advantage of by commercial interests who benefit from us being upset. That doesn't cover everything that's going on in the world, but I think it explains a great deal. There's a man at a store I go to, he thinks I'm on his side. And, and he tells me every conspiracy theory that he has read since the last time I went into that store. Because he thinks I'm, I agree with him. Um, and, uh, and he doesn't realize that... Here's the thing. The easiest person to take in is the person who is extremely worried about taking in. The easiest person to scam is the person who says, I don't want to be made a fool of. And so the scammer outrages the person by making them think that everybody else is scamming them. And you, you, you think about what, what the New Testament says. You think about what the Bible in general says. Uh, we are uh, to let our yes be yes and our no be no. We are to be at peace with all men insofar as possible. 
And what's, what's very telling is comparing this list of the insurrectionists with the blesseds that Jesus pronounced in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the peacemakers. That's the way his list begins and ends. That those who are counted blessed in Jesus' kingdom are ones who um, are uh, humble, who are not trying to take advantage of others, and who are, who are setting about in their daily lives to try to bring peace rather than heighten conflict. And so um, the insurrectionist is the third kind of person that Solomon uh, wants to warn us about uh, because uh, we are to avoid uh, associating with insurrectionists as well as avoid being, the, being an insurrectionist. Because ultimately, a calamity will come upon us. Uh, verse 15, calamity will come upon him suddenly in a moment who will be broken beyond healing. This is what Psalm 1 teaches about those who walk in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, this is uh, what Psalm 73 teaches about those who prosper through wickedness that their end will come suddenly. And so we walk by faith. We walk by faith because walking by wisdom requires faith. Walking by wisdom requires trusting God for the outcomes of doing the right things to have a meaningful and enriching life. Because we're, our world is filled with examples of being taken advantage of, nice guys finish last, and so on, but the Proverbs and the rest of the biblical wisdom says, trust God for the outcomes, and if you trust God for the outcomes, then you'll be able to do the right things. Why is that so? Because the wisdom of God has been made known in the person of Jesus Christ. He was the one who took on our debt, became surety for us, but who could pay, and he did, because our certificate of debt was nailed to the cross, Colossians chapter 1 tells us. Uh, he was the one who worked while it was day, because night was coming when no man could work, and he lived to do the will of his Father, and he accomplished on the cross what was necessary for us for all life and immortality. And he promised that by following him, taking up his cross, we would have life. So he is our surety. He is the one who worked to make us um, rich in him. And finally, he is the one who did not answer his accusers and therefore enables us to answer a curse with a blessing, to speak words of blessing when we are reviled because as he said in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And John 10, 10 is talking precisely about the kind of life that wisdom brings us. So in Jesus Christ, those who were sureties have been set free. Those who were sluggards have been enlivened and are able to overflow in blessing to the life of others. And insurrectionists, have been drafted into his service as peacemakers. Let's pray. Lord, we uh, find wisdom hard. Uh, we look at wisdom 
It seems as if we are in the slow lane and life is just passing us by constantly. Others are getting advantages. And if we would just hedge a little, fudge a little, maybe we could do better than if we trusted you. We recognize that as a great temptation, Lord. We also, um, we, we not only ask for your power to resist that temptation, to, to disbelieve the lies of the devil, that uh, the kingdoms of this world can be had by bowing down to him, but we, we also need wisdom, Lord, to know what's the right thing to do and when to do it. Uh, because uh, the world is complicated, God, and uh, not everything is always clear when to help an adult child and when not to, when to help a poor or homeless person and when not to, uh, when to take someone in and when to refuse them uh, because they are a danger to us. Those, those decisions are very hard for us, God, and we need the insight that comes from your word and your spirit. But we believe, Lord, even help our unbelief, we believe that by your word and spirit you'd have provided us the means to obey your will. And so help us to do so by faith, resting confidently in your Son, his work on our behalf, but also his guidance through the Spirit which he has given to his church. We pray it in his name. Amen.